Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 12. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped the same year a hundredfold. That's huge. That is, a, that is a, an amazing crop. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. So Isaac's there, but you know what? He's not, what I see here is he's not trusting in the Philistines. He's, he's, not, he's not going after the Philistine thing. He's, he's doing his own thing. He's staying in his own lane. And if he's planting crops, he's probably outside the city. You know, staying outside the Philistine community. He's, he's, he's honoring God. But this is evidence here, guys, that, that if, if, you, if you follow God and you, and you believe big things, God will make you rich. Right here. We see it in Isaac's life. Of course, you know I'm kidding. That's, that's heretical, right? There's so many teachers, unfortunately, especially in America, that preach that. Right? God wants you to be rich. And if you just live your best life now, uh, your, your dreams will all come true. Because that's what Jesus really wants for you. That's not, that's not the gospel, guys. That's the prosperity gospel. It's, it's false. And that's not what we see here. But let me tell you guys, God is, God's blessings in our life okay, are not necessarily monetary riches. If you think, man, God's blessings, don't automatically think, man, my car, my house, my money, my food. Yes, those are blessings. But God's greatest blessings, guys, are the things in our life that keep us in His covenant. God's greatest blessings in your life are the ways in which He keeps you in Christ. The ways in which He keeps you secure in salvation. And for Isaac, that meant wealth. For God to keep Isaac in the covenant and in the promises, he's, after all, He's making him into a great nation, wealth was required for Isaac. Wealth is not required for you. More than likely. Very few people are called to be rich by God. A lot fewer than what we think I'd imagine, you know. But we're like, well, I think I, I probably would be in that category, right, Lord? I mean, come on, I'm a good guy, you know. For Isaac, it was important in keeping him in the covenant. But God does not want everybody to be rich. It's, that's not the case for everybody. In fact, for many of us, God needs to kind of cap that amount so we remain dependent on him he needs to kind of cap the amount of money we have in our checking account otherwise all we'll think about is what we can spend our money on and we'll forget about god we'll forget about our dependency on god god gives us what we need and guys guess what that is the blessing of god having what we need godliness with contentment is great game but when we walk in obedience to the lord when we're diligent to sow in the spirit as isaac did god blesses us and he causes our souls to prosper our souls prosper in the Lord. That contentment comes in the Lord. And I'm, I'm looking at Isaac, and he, he could have sold his possessions and lived a comfortable life of compromise with the Philistines, just like Lot did. You remember Lot? That's what, that's what he did. He set his eyes on Sodom and Gomorrah, on the city, where, where, he could, where living was easy. There was a marketplace. He didn't have to work the field or work his land. He could just sell off all of his livestock and retire in the city. Isaac doesn't do that. 
Isaac's like, I'm remaining separate. I'm going to sow and I'm going to grow and I'm going to allow God to bless me as I, as I remain faithful to my call. See, the Philistines would have been happy to watch Isaac assimilate into their community. But that's not what God had for him. Instead, he works the ground. He continues in his calling. And he's blessed. He's protected. He's separated from the world by just being faithful. That's how God blesses him. Verse 15, it says, Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. He, he's walking in, in the promise of God, and he's close enough to the Philistines for them to see it, and they're like, You know what? You've got to just get out of here. You're, you're too strong. You're obviously, you got some trick here with, with your farming technique. It's, ama- it's incredible, but like you're ruining our economy. You're, you're, you're way too strong for us. Too much livestock, too much men. We, we don't want to even compete with you. But the reality is my, Isaac is not mightier than the Philistines. Isaac's God is mightier than the Philistines. Isaac being faithful to God and God coming in, he gives... He gives Isaac this power in the presence of his enemies. And if I were to go back to the analogy, the Philistines representing your compromise, the sin within the Christian life, Lord, this, 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 this battle with the flesh and the enemy, we are powerless on our own to overcome it. The struggles in your life, you're powerless to overcome them apart from Christ. But with Christ... We have the mighty one on our side. What did Jesus say right? no, about, about spiritual warfare, about the devil and his work in your life? He says, no one can come into a house unless they bind the strong man first. One, one stronger than basically the one running the house has to come in and bind the strong man and then they can take over the house. Jesus is saying, I'm the strong man. The enemy may have his way in your life, but I'm the one who can come in. I am the mighty one who can come and give you power and equip you. When Christ is on our side, the battle is no longer about the strength that we can muster up, guys, but it's about our proximity to Christ. It's about your proximity to Jesus. So maybe, maybe you've been approaching your sin struggles wrong. Maybe you've been approaching your sin struggles trying to muster up all the self-control you can muster up on your own. That's not what it's about. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Allow Christ to fill you and to occupy your mind and to direct you, and to give you healthy desires. And you will find your enemies being like, you are mightier than we are. Your, your flesh that seems to overcome you so often will eventually have to say, hey, you, you are much mightier than I am as you continue to grow in Christ. And some of you guys, you do. You have struggles you deal with on a daily basis. And I'm here to tell you guys, that you need to keep fighting because there, there is victory, there is deliverance as we sow in the Spirit, as we pursue Christ. The Bible says if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. As you pursue Christ, you are in the opposite direction of, of where the devil wants you. And you're actively resisting him by pursuing Christ. And the more Christ you have in your life, the less the enemy even wants to be around you. The more he hates you, I would say, but the less power He has over you. So by God's grace, as we continue to pursue Christ, guys, we can reach a place of spiritual strength in Christ where our enemies will finally say, go away from us. You are much mightier than we. We'll always have struggles with the flesh, but there's victory in Christ. And we see Isaac here just 
just faithfully serving. He's got the, the comprom- his compromise is right there. The Philistines are right there, like biting at his heels. But they're like, look, I, we don't want to mess with you. Can you just go? Can you just go? Verse 17, so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines have, had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them their names that his father had given them. So the Philistines, they go all the places that Abraham sojourned and they just filled in his wells, spitefully, right? And this was an arid region. It's, it was, it's similar to Tucson in that you, you have to have groundwater. You have to have wells for survival. And as a farmer, as a, as a uh, husband, husbandman, what is it called? The f- people who, who have li- livestock husbandry, if you're into husbandry, like Isaac was, you depended on the water. You depended on these wells. Everywhere you went, you had to have some source of water. So the Philistines are basically saying, look, we don't want you here. This is not your country. We don't want you thriving here. We don't want you growing here. They stopped up all the wells of Abraham. They waited till he died because they didn't want to mess with Abraham because they knew how mighty his God was. But they stopped up all the wells. And if I could take liberty again and, and just kind of spiritualize this, what does this mean for the believer? Okay? Who's, who, is the well of, who, who is the wellspring of life? Christ is. Everywhere we go, we need Christ with us. He's the one who satisfies. He's the one who, who nourishes us with life, with true and living water. And guys, throughout history, the church has dug thousands of wells. We've seen institutions built where people can go and taste of Jesus Christ and taste and see that He's good. Drink of the well of water, the wellspring of life. Churches, no doubt, giant churches, giant institutions, hospitals, I don't know if you know that, but many of the hospitals in the country were begun by Christian institutions as a way to serve the communities. Our top universities, I don't know if you realize that, but many of our universities began, especially the prestigious ones in our country, they were started as Christian institutions because the Christians wanted to educate the community. Why? So they could read their Bibles and think for themselves. And over time, these wellsprings for Christ to get into the community, they've been filled in with earth. They've been filled in with dirt. That if you were to go visit a lot of these institutions, you'll find Jesus buried so far in these institutions that nobody is going to experience them there. Go, go to St. Joseph's Hospital. There, there's, there's some crosses up, and there's, a, there's a, a, a father who will pray, I think, a, a priest who will pray once a day or so. But, man, you, you talk to the people... No, there aren't really outspoken Christians representing that, that hospital. When it was a Christian institution, when it established, go to Harvard or, or Yale or one of these places and you'll be hard-pressed to find a professor who won't mock you for your faith. Like Jesus has been buried in these institutions and it's tragic. They're full of dirt, full of man's philosophies. But I, I pray, how amazing would it be? Like Isaac went and he reclaimed all these wells. He went and he reclaimed them uh, to be used, to be where you could access fresh water and there would be life again in these regions and his people could again settle in these regions. How amazing if, if revival broke out to the point where even these old dead institutions 
sparked revival, that these, these, these hardened professors and these, these, these people that run these hospitals, they get saved. And, and, and Christ fills, and, and the living water is flowing out of these wells again. That would be amazing, right? It, it might be a long shot, but it would be amazing if we could see that take place. Isaac reclaims these wells. And as he does so, guys, contentions arise for him as he continues to move on. Verse 19, When Isaac's servants dug in the valley, they found there a well of spring water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, or contention is what that word means, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. He called its name Sitna, which means enmity. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, or room, or space, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now, trials, contentions with the enemy are causing Isaac to bounce around. But again, what was Isaac's call? To sojourn. The trials are keeping Isaac in his calling, and they're digging more and more wells. These guys are like well professionals. By this point, I wonder if they had it down to a science where, man, show me the, show me the spot, Isaac, and I can dig a well for you. It'll be done in a week, you know? They're, they were pros because of these contentions. But God gives them space from the contentious people around them, finally, as they, as they go out to this open country where the Philistines aren't going to come hassle them. And it, it reminded me of something that Paul writes in, in Romans. He said, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. As much as it pertains to you, pursue peace with all people. And the only way Isaac was going to have peace with the Philistines is if he had some Rehoboth, or what was it? Yeah, Rehoboth, some space, some room from these people. And I want to tell you guys that sometimes, as much as it pertains to you, the only thing you can have control over with regards to certain people in your life to bring peace, the only thing you can do is create space. It's okay to set up healthy boundaries. That's not to say that you, you, you shut people out, you write them off, you never think about them, you don't pray for them, you don't look for opportunities to reconcile, but it does mean that there are certain people in your life, guys, that you're going to need to have space. You're going to need to have healthy boundaries, especially if they represent some form of compromise in your life, right? If we were to carry that analogy through, the sin struggles in your life, Make some space, guys. Be smart. Make some room between you and the things you struggle with. What, what did Jesus say? He's like, hey, if your hand causes you to sin, make some space between you and that hand by cutting it off. Get, get that hand away from you. Now, he didn't say it literally because you could always sin with the other hand. But he was saying take drastic measures so that you don't compromise. Right? Make, create some space with these things that you wrestle with. If you have that one individual that the conversation always seems to go unhealthy, maybe just purpose in your heart the night before you go into work or into school or whatever to just have, have somewhere else to be instead of getting stuck into another conversation. If you can't handle sitting at your computer at night by yourself without going to certain websites, maybe it's a good, thing, a good time to just make a rule where you don't get on your computer alone anymore. And if you got to study, you go to the coffee shop to study in front of people. You know, you have to start thinking, be wise. 
Create some space between you and the things that you struggle with. He's like, finally, I have space. God's going to bless me here in this, in, in this place. Verse 23, from there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Don't you love that? Like God shows up and he's just speaking his promises over Isaac. He's just speaking blessing over Isaac. And, and I, I wish like I could have that experience with God, that I would like literally just get to see him and hear his voice. But I have the word of God. And the next best thing, guys, is to believe in faith that these promises are mine. So maybe one of the, something you can exercise in your quiet time, in your alone time with God, is to look at these promises and, and picture your Heavenly Father giving you these promises. I led communion the other night at the West Campus, and, and we were talking about the institution of communion and how Jesus, in Luke 22, He said, Here, my body, I ha- this is my body that I have given for you. And it just, it, it took me there. It was, it was the Father telling me, I have, this is my, my covenant with you. I have given the most prized possession for you. It's just such a sweet thing that God wants to assure our hearts with His promises and with His covenant. So what does Isaac do? Verse 25, He built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug another well. Just digging wells. So Isaac worships the Lord and they keep sojourning, they keep digging wells. This was Isaac's way, guys, of claiming the land, of owning the land. He would build an altar to the Lord and he would dig a well for his people. So it's happening. And this digging of wells, right? These these well springs of life, it's it's a picture of ministry. It's a picture of the work of the gospel. A picture of building institutions. Places where Jesus is tasted. If you want to start a home fellowship, a home Bible study, you're digging a little well where people can come taste of Christ. If you, if you pray, if there's people at work and, and they want to pray with you in the morning, you're, you're creating a well in Tucson, in, right there within your workspace where people can taste of Jesus Christ. And guys, the more wells that we dig, the more churches we plant, the more territory we claim for the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful for guys like Nick and, and Scott and uh, so many before. Adam went out to Florida. My buddy Eric's still out in Florida. Dan Swanson planted Midtown. These are guys that left Calvary Tucson to plant churches. They're digging wells. And it's hard work. And they need help. Calvary Tucson is a huge well in Tucson. I'm so thankful to be a part of this. I recently was speaking with a woman who was like, I just want to say I'm so thankful for Calvary Tucson. You guys are really doing the work of the ministry and it blessed my heart. Because sometimes you're in the middle of digging and you're, you're just trying to keep the water from getting dirty and get, getting, uh, getting more dirt in it and keeping it from getting polluted. And you forget that people are drinking from this well. And it's so refreshing. Ignition Tucson is a well for young adults. And it's up to us right now. We, we are possessors of this well. Not just me, but you guys as well. And, and, and we look after this well. We make sure it's a place where people are growing and tasting of Christ. We're making sure that it doesn't get polluted. That it doesn't get filled in. Right? These are privileges. And the more wells we have, the more ground we gain for Christ. We're doing the work of the ministry. 
Verse 26, when, Abraham, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuseth, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, we see plainly that the Lord has, has uh, been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have touched you. I have not touched you and have done nothing but good to you and have sent you away in peace. Now are you the, uh, you are the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him with peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water and he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of that place is Beersheba. To this day, or well of the oath is what, that, is what that means. So the Philistines approach Isaac just like they approached Abraham. And they're like, look, God's with you like he was with your dad. We don't want to mess with you. He's like, why are you coming to me? You guys, y'all hate me. He's like, look, we, we don't hate you that much. We just don't want to tangle with you, you know? So they're like, well, we sent you away peacefully. Could we just have peace? And Isaac's like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want issues either. Proverbs sixteen seventeen: when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord... He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When you're walking with the Lord, there will be peace in places that you could never even have imagined there would have been peace. God gives Isaac peace from his enemies and he, he continues to prosper him. Now, we're going to read the last two, chapter, uh, last two verses and wrap this chapter up, but it ends here with kind of an out-of-place statement, but it ends with a statement about Esau and the direction, the poor direction he takes in life. Verse 34, it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. They were a thorn in the flesh for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, I want you guys to remember the covenant with Abraham. As God made the covenant, he made it really clear. Sarah is going to be the one to bear the child, the promised child. Sarah will be the matriarch of this nation. And implicitly, God was saying, the wife that comes from your people, it is out of the people from the land of Ur who fell in the godly line of Seth and on down through Noah and Shem to Abraham. That was implicit. God never said that explicitly. But Abraham did with regards to Isaac's wife. He said, look, you're going to go find Isaac a wife, but he, he cannot marry a Canaanite. He needs to take a wife from our people. And here we see Esau, he shows no regard for, for this, the, implis, the implications of marrying outside of the family. He, he shows no regard for, for his grandpa's advice, for his dad's advice. And, and for the, the, the advice of the God that his grandpa served. And because of that, he showed no regard for the covenant either. He again makes this decision where he's like, I don't care about God. I don't care about the covenant. I don't care about these promises. I'm going to do what I feel like doing. And that was Esau. And he was, a, he was a fool. This is a contrast between Isaac and his son Esau. As we close out this chapter, Isaac represents the believer. He's busy honoring God. He's not perfect, but he's faithful. He's sowing when it's time to sow, reaping when it's time to reap. He's worshiping God. He's digging wells. He's sojourning in the land of faith. 
And by doing so, he creates distance from his enemies. God is blessing him. Esau, on the other hand, he's the picture of the non-believer. He's the picture of the unsaved, the guy that just ran into Egypt. He didn't even care. He's too busy chasing wild game and women to be of any use to God's kingdom, to be of any use to his father in the promised land. He's just a nuisance because he's rejected the covenant. He's rejected, no, not, not outright, he hasn't said it, but by his actions, he has rejected it. And rather than creating distance from his enemies, as Isaac did, he's marrying his enemies. He's getting all in the family with his enemies, with sin and with compromise and with the flesh and with the world. Esau's all in. And I just want to end by asking, who are you more like? Who are you living like? If, if we were to take a field trip, Ignition, as a class, and we, and we were like a fly on the wall in your life for the next week, or maybe even for the last week, would we see more of Esau or more of Isaac? I mean, I believe great things, and I know I talk with you, a lot of you guys personally, and I see the, I see the Isaacs in here, the, the, the men and women of faith, right? But let's examine ourselves. Are we those who say the right answers, but really we're not living it. We're just, we're just Esau's playing the game. I, I hope and pray that's not the case. May God grant us the grace and wisdom, guys, to walk as Isaac and Abraham and walk in the legacy of faith and avoid their mistakes. May we avoid the foolishness of Esau. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's pray. So, Father, it is... Uh, an amazing account where we glean, Lord God, from the life of Isaac, the mistakes of Isaac, the foolishness of Esau. Lord God, and we confess, Lord, our tendencies to want to put on a show, to, to say all the right things, to do all the right things, to pretend we're just perfect, the perfect chosen men and women of the faith while we harbor sin, while we toy with the Philistines, while we flirt, Lord God, with the world and with the flesh. Lord God, may you grant us the conviction, the wisdom, the faith to cut these things out, that we would create distance from our enemies, that we would be too busy digging wells for you, Lord God, representing Jesus Christ in our communities, focused on Christ, drawn near to Christ, drinking from these wells that we don't care what the Philistines have to offer us for drink. We have your well, Lord Jesus. We have the living water that we can taste from and that, that will flow out of us. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd fill us with the Spirit now, that we would be men and women who represent you in our communities, that we would have that, uh, that wisdom to identify, Lord, the things that slow us down, that we would, could remove every weight of sin that so easily ensnares us and trips us up, God, that after hearing this message and, and receiving Lord, the equipping of the Holy Spirit, we would be able to run our race even more effectively and honor you, that you would honor us, that you would bring blessings into our life and make room from our enemies for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everyone. Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to those of you who also share this content and help us get the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus out into our community. We would love to invite you out to our in-person services. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping.
God bless you.